This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, is it fair to call Georgia Tech a dark horse in the Coastal this this year? Totally fair. Um, you know, I think it's Miami and everybody else, but yeah, Georgia, <laughs> Tech's, a dark, Georgia Tech's a dark horse. We've talked about that at length. Um, we got another Georgia Tech guy on, don't we? Yes, we do. Our Georgia Tech guy, one of one of our favorites, beloved by the fan base, um, former player at Georgia Tech, current color commentator on Georgia Tech's radio broadcasts, none other than Sean Bedford returns to the program. Sean, it's great to have you back. How are you, sir? Welcome back. I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, no, nowhere better to uh, get information on what's going on with the program. I, I say that as a guy that follows the program. You, you know more about it than I do even. So, uh, appreciate you coming back. Uh, 2017 kind of Georgia Tech comes in riding some higher expectations off of a, a nine and four finish in 2016. Um, and, and really, it could have been a special season. They weren't far from an eight and three or even a nine and two finish. Uh, and then things kind of fell off a little bit. Um, they, they had a, a bunch of late game collapses and they ended up five and six and missing a bowl game. Um, so kind of disappointing. But I think there's still some optimism coming back for 2018. Um, the biggest story here for Georgia Tech coming into the year is that they are replacing Ted Roof as offensive coordinator. Uh, Nate Woody joining on, coming from Appalachian State, where he's had a few top 30-level defenses with Sunbelt-level talent. Um, and now with, with some guys to replace maybe on defense coming out of last year, his scheme being applied should hopefully really drive some more success for Georgia Tech's team. What are your expectations for Nate Woody's defense in year one? That's a really interesting question, Joey. and. One of the things I like about the Nate Woody hire is I think if you look at how teams approach Georgia Tech going forward, you're always going to hear a lot of talk about the offense and how you have to really stop what you're doing and prepare specifically for Georgia Tech. And so I think for a long time since Paul Johnson has been there, that has allowed Georgia Tech to dictate the terms of how the game is going to be played, at least um, when Tech's offense is on the field. By bringing in Nate Woody, I think they're giving a lot of that same um, effect on defense. Now, I, I think teams are going to have to look at this three, four scheme and realize you're not going to be playing a, a nose tackle. Who's necessarily going to two gap. You're not going to have defensive ends. who are just going to hold up those tackles and try to let the linebackers run. You're going to have to get ready for Georgia tech's defense because they're going to slant. They're going to do some creative twists. They're going to get a lot of pressure. And that's something Nate Woody has been very successful with during his time in Appalachian state. And it's something that tech has desperately needed over the last couple of years as they've been really one of the worst teams in the country at generating quarterback pressure. And I can't tell you how many times we've been sitting up there in the booth and I'll look over at Andy and say, you just, you got to get some pressure on the quarterback. And if you go back two years, you can attribute a lot of Tech's third down woes on defense to lack of quarterback pressure. And hopefully uh, Nate Woody's going to be able to turn that around. And I think he's got some good tools to do that. Um, 
you know, there are some question marks that need to be filled there. I think losing AJ Gray to a previously unknown heart condition in the offseason was certainly not the news the Tech fans wanted to get. But when you go through the personnel, um, it may not be super deep, but I think across the board, there's a there's a guy who fits neatly into each of the positions along that Nate Woody 3-4 front seven, and then it's just a matter of filling in that secondary behind it. I, w- I will add that it you, you are correct that that's been a, a big problem for Georgia Tech's defense the last few years, but it definitely felt a lot more like a scheme issue than a talent issue. Um, they're not You're not going to mistake you know Clemson's defensive line for Georgia Tech's, but at the same time, I mean, there, there is talent there, and I don't think it was always being utilized in the most appropriate ways to generate some of those results. Well, I don't know if it's a matter of – I think it just depends on, on defensive philosophy. And I think um, what Ted Roof did in large part was decided, we're going to go out there and be confident that our offense is going to generate points, and we're going to go out there and we're going to let the other offense try to make mistakes. And I think there's a time and place where that works very effectively. I think um, with proliferation of, of spread offenses and good offensive coaches here in the, in the, um, in the ACC – as well as some really good quarterbacks, I think that wound up being a recipe for disaster, particularly when you can't physically overpower the other team up front. And that was another issue that Tech ran into. As you said, you know, you don't have um, Clemson's defensive line lining up across the front there, although no one else does either. Clemson's defensive line is, is probably one of the best we've seen in a long, long time. Um, but I do think that schematically that did put Tech at a disadvantage and uh, you know, certainly nothing against Coach Roof. I think he's he's done some great things for Georgia Tech as both a player and a coach. But um, I think this change of pace is going to be very good for Tech uh, defensively. So there's going to be an emphasis with Nate Woody's new scheme, putting pressure on the quarterback. Um, you talked about A.J. Gray losing him in the secondary, of course, with a heart condition. Corey Griffin gone. Lance Austin gone. Steph Durham gone. How big of a concern is the secondary, um, given that, you know, there is going to be a change of scheme. This defense is new to everybody. How big of a difference does it make that now you don't have the experience in the secondary? Is it as big of a deal as it is some other years, given that, hey, the scheme's changing and, you know, it's going to be a new defense to everybody? Mike, I think that's a great point. And anytime you're replacing basically your whole secondary, that's going to be a concern. The good thing for Tech is they do have some players coming back who have some experience um, and who have played meaningful minutes you know, Jalen Johnson has been one of those consistent sort of backup players who played a, a nickel role and played at strong safety some um, the last couple of years. And he's really been a good player when he's been called upon um, playing mostly behind Lawrence Austin in the past. He's going to get that chance to step up and be a leader and step into that starting role. But beyond him, I think a Johnny Kerr, it's a name you probably know all too well at the end of that uh, Virginia Tech game, came up with a big defensive play. He's probably proving to be uh, one of the better cover corners that Georgia Tech has. Uh, Lamont Simmons has played some meaningful minutes. And really, as you go down the line, there are guys there who have been around but haven't been forced to be the guy up to this point. But as you said, no one is really used to things. Nobody's really used to this system and to how things are going to play out. So you're always kind of shuffling things up a little bit when you change up the scheme. And I, I don't know that you can take a ton of solace in that because you're still starting with the whole group of, of fresh players who are at least fresh to that defense. Um, but I do think it there's a, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. And really, other than the game experience itself, I don't know that you'd be getting that much more um, if you had the whole defensive secondary coming back. 
One of the other aspects there too, I think, is that you look at some of the younger guys in that secondary who will be having to step up and take on bigger roles. You can look at a Gentry Bonds, a Trey mm-hmm. Swilling, uh, some of these guys that are they're not as experienced. You know, you don't tip, you know tend to know what you're going to get from them as much as you do with some of the older guys. But I think there's maybe a little more athleticism, a little more physical capability there, just raw talent, um, and some of these new guys. And so there is definitely some upside that may not have been there. Um, in the last couple of years with some of the more experienced guys, um, if, if you're looking for a silver lining on the whole thing. Um, Sean, it's it's definitely an interesting year if we come to a Georgia Tech preview and start talking about the defense first, but that, that's kind of what it is. I do want to go back to the offense. Um, to me, the biggest theme on offense, there's a lot of guys coming back um, on the offensive line. Basically, I think if I'm remembering correctly, the entire two deep on offense projects to be uh, a bunch of juniors and seniors, which has always boded very well for uh, Paul Johnson's offenses. The one guy that's not coming back that is a significant loss is Ricky June. Um, he's been a, a big pass catching threat of the last two or three years in Georgia Tech's offense. Having to replace him, again, there's a lot of talent and ability there behind him, but it's a matter of who is going to step up and really just take the reins and take that on. Well, I think that's true. And I think a lot of people who might not be familiar with the program would be very confused by the fact that we're talking about a wide receiver for Georgia Tech being the the key departure here. But when you go back and look at the numbers, Ricky June was Georgia Tech's passing game last year. And there's not a ton of experience coming back of guys who have really uh, had much in the way of, of experience catching the ball. I think um, there's going to be that question, who is going to be the guy to step up and fill those shoes? Because for as much as Georgia Tech is known for running the ball, they are at their most effective when there is that threat of a go-to wide receiver who can stretch the field and keep those safeties honest. Um, you know, my senior year, we were struggling to find an identity there after Demarius Thomas left. And I can tell you it's a lot harder to play in a, an option-based offense where the defense can offset the numbers advantage by bringing another safety up into the box as a fourth linebacker and basically play you in a 4-4-3 deep kind of look. Um so if you don't have a guy who can give you that cover and force the defense to play back just a little bit, just keep them honest, that can be a real problem. Now, Brad Stewart comes back. He's been a starter for a couple of years now. Uh, he's established himself as a pretty consistent receiver with good hands, great leaping ability. But he hasn't really shown that he can be that guy that safeties you know, have nightmares about all week leading up to it, thinking, you know, I got to play the run, but I can't let that guy get behind me. Uh, finally got his first touchdown to catch again at the – expense of Mike's team last year. Um, but, <laughs> that was a rough game. For yeah, me. man, I'm sorry. That was that was tough for you. Uh, but there's a couple of young guys. There are a couple of young guys coming up who are really – who fit that mold of what you think of when you think of a Georgia Tech receiver, a big, strong guy who can block. Jalen Camp, I think, is going to be someone that the coaches had their eye on. Malachi Carter, a true freshman, has also been making some um, – has been getting some attention here in camp. I uh, had a chance to see him a little bit. He's got very sure hands. He's a big guy who can go out there and body or you know body out some of those defensive backs. So he could be interesting as, as he tries to get in the mix there. But I think Jalen Camp is the guy that a lot of uh, Tech fans and the coaches are looking to to be that next Ricky June. We're looking for that new face on offense, and it might just be Jalen Camp. I mean, he had one catch last year. He was the only other guy. Um, you know, we talked about Ricky June leaving as a leading pass catcher. He's the only guy outside of Brad Stewart who caught a pass last year. So is Jalen Camp the new face on offense to watch? Because it seems like everybody else is really just returning. 
He could be. Um, the reality is there's so many returners coming back that it's hard to point to to a whole lot of other people and say that's going to be it. Another name I'll give you is James Graham. He's coming in. He's a true freshman quarterback who I think is really going to benefit from the rule change this year as he is going to be able to preserve his red shirt through four games. Could see the field as a quarterback. He's also lined up as receiver the last couple of days here in camp. Um, they really are excited about him and want to find a way to get him on the field. So I would not be at all surprised to see him play. He could be a, a guy to keep an eye out for, but I think Jalen Camp probably is the safest bet. Um, but if if he's unable to assert himself in that role, I think you might see Georgia Tech revert to a passing game that's more focused on the A-backs as they finally have their full stable of A-backs healthy and ready to go with Clinton Lynch being back from injury. Uh, but, yeah, I'd say Jalen Camp on offense, probably the new face to watch. But don't sleep on James Graham either. Back to the defense real quick, Sean. We talked about having to rebuild the secondary. There's also some some key guys to replace up front. Who's the single biggest name that you think that folks are going to know by the end of this year that they may not know at, the, at this current moment? Well, I guess that depends on how deeply you're, uh, you're following Georgia Tech football. I think Bruce Jordan Swilling, who uh, had a couple of big plays, was, was really a, an impact player in the loss to Virginia last year with a pick six and a fumble recovery. You know, obviously the son of Pat Swilling, he's he's got a, a great pedigree. He's going to come out there. Was a high school All American. Showed some glimpses as a true freshman, but I think he's going to be counted on um, if he can, in fact, win that starting role as one of those inside linebackers. I think he could be a real playmaker for the Jackets. And the other is his brother. I think Trace Swilling is going to be interesting back there in the secondary. Um, I really like him a lot. He's got. Um, kind of an attitude about him, uh, a very a positive attitude. He's the guy getting everybody hyped on the sidelines, and I think he shows that kind of energy on the field when he gets a chance to go out and play. So I'll be excited to see him actually suiting up in games rather than just practices. So we've been going through um, the schedule. We've been talking about surefire wins, surefire losses, and toss-up games, uh, Sean. And, you know, when looking at the schedule for Georgia Tech, it feels like, especially in the Coastal Division this year, every single one of the Coastal Division games, maybe outside of Miami, which, of course, was a toss-up game for the Jackets last year, as we all know. Quite literally, uh, yeah. Quite literally a toss-up game. Um, seems like a toss-up to us um, when, when we go through the schedule. Um, so give us give us your thoughts on the schedule overall, uh, top to bottom, maybe some things that we should watch for because – I mean, Georgia Tech's got a lot of winnable games in here, but there are also some some tough games that they have um, just based on scheduling quirks. Yeah, Georgia Tech's one of a handful of teams in the country that uh, up there with South Carolina and Auburn, who has the misfortune of, of having to play two top five teams every year just by virtue of their rivalry games. I think with uh, Clemson, that team out in Athens. And, um, you know, when you – those are obviously going to be tough games, but when you know, certainly – I think if Paul Johnson has proven one thing, it's that his team is never going to be an automatic win in anybody's column. Um, so I think those are always going to be games that Tech fans get up for. As you look through the schedule, though, I think you, you bring up a good point. There's a lot of games on here you could see going both ways. I, I don't imagine Alcorn State is going to give Tech a huge, uh, a huge fight. I think the last time the Braves came to town, uh, even in that 2015, uh, excuse me, 2015 season, that was such a disaster. Tech handled them pretty easily. But I think we're going to find out a lot about Tech early on, especially in the second and third games against or against USF in Tampa and then going up to Pittsburgh. I think we'll find out a lot about this team and whether or not they're able to put everything together. Because really, when you go back and look at last year, 
it was one of those seasons that nothing seemed to really click. It's like, you know, those days you wake up and maybe you slept on your neck wrong and you've got that pain in the side of your neck and your day just never seems like anything kind of goes together and breakfast doesn't taste good and you get stuck in a traffic jam on the way to work. Not really like snake bit, nothing bad's happening to you, but you just never get in a rhythm. And that's kind of what tech season felt like last year. You know, they're, they're so close on a couple of occasions. They finally broke through against VT, but really for the rest of the season, there was never really got up and going. And I think part of that may have been the the loss to Tennessee in that first game and then having the UCF game canceled and just never finding a rhythm. This year, I think they have an opportunity to get in that rhythm. I think that USF-Pittsburgh combination is going to be very big early on. The other one that I think is going to be very telling is how they handle the stretch of Louisville and then two games back-to-back against teams with bye weeks to prepare in Duke and Virginia Tech, both of whom have given the Jackets trouble over the last couple of years. This is – I actually – again, like I promise I'm not doing this to, to get under your skin here, but this has actually been Georgia Tech's best run of success against Virginia Tech since uh, – well, I guess since the Hokies joined the ACC. Yep. But Duke, for whatever reason, the last couple of years has really given the Jackets trouble. That's going to be the homecoming game this year. Certainly they'd like to replicate the, the results they had back in 2016, would not like a repeat of last year or 2015. So – I think we'll find out a lot there. And then what I have to ask you guys, since you're probably more tied into the rest of the conference than I am right now, um, because I haven't really gotten into my full prep yet. When you look at UNC this year, what do you see? Because we got them, we got them early in the season last year. They hadn't figured anything out. Obviously they had so many injuries last year. So many things went the wrong way for them. What do you guys see out of the Tar Heels this year? Joe, you want to fire away first? I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm still very skeptical about North Carolina. Um, to me, it's very clear that their defense has never been good under Larry Fedora, like in any way, shape, or form, except when Gene Chizik was there. And with him gone, it's like I don't have any reason to think that they're going to put up much of a fight at, at this point. Um, I, I think that if you're looking for a good point for Larry Fedora to find a peak and to kind of exit, so to speak, you know, get out while the getting's good. I think he missed it a couple of years ago when they went nine and four or whatever and won the coastal. I mean, I don't, I don't think that he was building this program with the idea of still being here another few years. And I think it's maybe coming back to bite him here a little bit. Mike, what are your, what are your thoughts? I think uh, there's a lot to that theory that, I'm with you on, as you know. I, I, my biggest thing with North you guys Carolina have got to be really is, popular with Tar Heel fans. <laughs> <laughs> Tar Heel fans, Miami fans, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you name it, we've probably pissed them off. They love, <laughs> they love us. Yeah, they love us. Um, I, I think by virtue of North Carolina just being healthier, I think they have to be better. Um, I don't know how much better though, uh, to Joey's point, and I think that's the biggest thing. I we've never seen anything like we've seen with the team with injuries like we saw with North Carolina last year. I mean, it was unbelievable how they went down all like most of their starters on defense, then a bunch of their second stringers. I mean, the injuries just kept on coming. Um, of course, they've had the suspensions that were just handed out with only a couple starters. I mean, Chas Surratt, who was fighting for a starting quarterback job that Nathan Elliott, of course, was named the starter two hours after they announced the sanction, which was, I mean, I would have hmm. loved to have been in that room. Um, <laughs> yeah. When Ray Fedora announced that, I would have loved to be like, okay, well, what do you do to win the starting job? Um, but yeah, I don't think the suspensions really are going to matter a whole lot for North Carolina. It was a lot of backups that ended up getting suspended for the shoe thing, which I don't really think is that big of a deal overall, but that's a story for another day. 
And I think North Carolina by virtue just has to be better because they're going to be healthier. Um, does that mean a bowl game? Probably. I don't know much beyond that, though. Like, I think eight wins is probably, I mean, that's probably on the high end. I think it's more likely like a six or seven win range just given their schedule. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, so that that's kind of, that's about where I've been sitting on them too, I guess. Obviously, we'll have time to, or Georgia Tech will have time to evaluate them as they come down the season as they won't play until November. But there really isn't a lot you can be too certain of this year in the Coastal. And um, I, I think the ACC generally is going to be a really entertaining uh, conference to watch this year. If you only watch um, college football, you know, I think that the guys in the solid verbal like to say, if you're watching this as a TV show, I think the ACC Coastal in particular is going to be a really interesting show to watch this year. Um, I don't know if it's going to win any Emmys, but it's definitely going to be dramatic and it's going to have its highs and lows. Um, So, yeah, I think there's – I think Georgia Tech is going to find out a lot about itself. I think, like I said, that early two-game stretch at USF and then at Pitt and then going to Louisville on a Friday night I think is going to be a game where we find out a lot about whether or not this team has put it all together – you know, there's so much coming back in the, in the offensive backfield and along the offensive line. If they can really be up and running at full speed, this is a very dangerous offense to watch out for. And if the defense can put things together, the beautiful thing about Nate Woody's style is that you're not going to be relying on your defense to get you, you know, stop after stop after stop. You should be generating enough turnovers, which is historically what, Georgia Tech has done its best when they've generated a lot of turnovers and given the ball back to the offense to control the control the ball, score a bunch of points, and put other teams in catch-up mode. And um, I think if they can do that in a couple of these games, this is, is really going to be a team to contend with and a team that could be – I don't even know if I'd call them a dark horse because, like you said, everybody seems to think it's Miami and everybody else. Um, but I could I could just as easily see – uh, Georgia Tech, or for that matter, Virginia Tech, if they can stop getting guys suspended. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me about it. I think I could see either of those teams coming out of the Coastal as well. Yeah, it, it's. I look at this schedule, and I, I could very easily have a conversation and talk about how Georgia Tech could be 6-1 and one going to Blacksburg in late October. I mean – it's not crazy to say that they win against Alcorn State at USF, at Pittsburgh, Bowling Green, at Louisville, home against Duke. I think I mean, that's completely true. Yeah. You know, you lose to Clemson on September 22nd and win the rest of them. I mean, six and one going to the back half of October, you're, you're sitting pretty. Um, one of the things I keep trying to remind myself of, too, with Nate Woody's defense is being aggressive. They are going to give up some bigger plays and they're going to give up points. But like you said, if that comes along with creating some more turnovers and creating some more three and outs, I mean, that's that may be a net win, you know, for the team as a whole. And so even as they're trying to get everything together and get it all figured out, they, if they can just, you know, again, create a couple extra possessions for the offense or whatever, I mean, that might be, might be good enough. And so I I have high hopes there. The, the games that I look at as surefire wins on this schedule, uh, Alcorn state, I'll start there home against Bowling Green, I want to say home against Duke, but I don't think I can. I've seen them lose at home to Duke fairly recently. Um, I will say senior day at home against Virginia. Um, I, I think Alcorn State, Bowling Green, and Virginia, I, I cannot see Georgia Tech losing those games, Mike. Those are those are my three. And even after losing in Charlottesville to Virginia last year, like uh, throw last year away. 
Um, Virginia stinks. I mean, they're bad. They're really bad. Um, you sound like Bronco Mendenhall now. I, I <laughs> we only have like we only have like twelve ACC players. You know, uh, yeah, they stink. Um, I, I'm with you. Those are my three too. Um, like you met, you mentioned Duke. Duke's a weird game. That's the only reason I'll throw it in the toss-up category. I think Georgia Tech is is better than Duke. I think that's a game they should win, but that's just – it's always weird. Um, so I'll throw that in the toss-up category as well. The, the surefire losses – I'm going to call Clemson a surefire loss. I cannot imagine this offense operating against their defensive front. It, it hasn't really done so for a few years now, and I, I don't expect it to start this year, sadly. Uh, the only other game that I, I would – Actually, the only other game that I will call a surefire loss, I, I do not see this team going to Blacksburg and winning on a Thursday night. They have had so little success against Virginia Tech on weeknights that maybe that was a Frank Beamer voodoo more than uh, more than anything else. But at this point, I'm going to chalk that up as a loss. I am not going to chalk up at Georgia as a loss only because, I mean, it hasn't been two straight times they've been to Athens. And that's that's the best reason I got. Um, they should be really good, but there's a there's always a chance. I'm going to call Miami a toss-up as well. I mean, Georgia Tech, again, had that game won, if not for a bad bounce last year. Um, I think there's maybe a little bit of, um, you know, over uh, overinflated expectations based on Miami's record, you know, getting out to 10-0 last year. But there were several of those games that were a lot closer than, uh, than a 10-0 record would indicate, you know. So, I, I think there's just a lot of toss-ups on this schedule. I mean, I could see it going anywhere between like six and six and honestly like nine and three. I could see that as like a, a very conceivable finish. And that's, I mean, at that point you are talking about possibly winning the Coastal depending on who those wins and losses are against. Um, hopefully I'm not just uh, totally fanboying it over here. Maybe that's a, a real, uh, real intelligent conversation we could have about nine and three Georgia Tech this year. Sean, I know you can't give a record prediction invoking, as we like to call it, the Herb Street privilege. Um, <laughs> but as as far as Georgia Tech being better than five and six last year, I mean, it, it seems to be a pretty safe bet given what they have returning. It should be a pretty reasonable expectation that they at least go bowling. Yeah, I think that's that's reasonable to expect. And going back and watching the Tennessee game from last year and a couple of the early season games, the thing that struck me was how – not hesitant, but how just sort of getting his bearings to Quan Marshall seemed to be like, he didn't seem fully comfortable through a lot of that. And I think if, if you go towards the end of the season, you could almost see a little bit of that as well as, as the team was kind of not falling apart, but he just didn't, he'd kind of maybe gotten into some bad habits um, and wasn't playing up to his potential. And I think I can tell you from firsthand or firsthand experience, when you have that first year as a starter, you're still kind of trying to keep your head above water and get everything figured out. You're not used to being the guy. You're not used to preparing in that role. Um, and I think that's especially true at quarterback. Uh, having that second year, having a full offseason to get used to that position as being the go-to guy and to having everyone, you know, not having any sort of doubt as to whether or not you're going to be the starter. You're not, you know, knowing that you're coming in with this approach. I think that makes a world of difference. He seemed much more confident coming into the season. Um, a couple of times I've had a chance to see him operating the offense. He looks like he's, he's much more comfortable with it. And one thing that's going to be really interesting this year for Georgia Tech is, is going to be play calling on offense. And if you go back and watch last year, especially down the stretch, Georgia Tech was not a triple option team. 
Um, and I think a lot of people have this perception that tech is going to come out there and just run triple option, run triple option, run triple option. If you look at the last couple of games from last year, tech hardly ran any uh, inside veer or triple option. They were running a lot of outside double options. There were a couple of uh, design B-back gives. And one of the strangest things I saw last year was that the quarterback counterplay, which they ran to tremendous success against both Tennessee and later against Wake Forest, became a staple of the playbook. Um, that wasn't even in the playbook when I was there. We didn't, I don't think we ran that once. Um, and that sort of, you know, counterpunch play had become a go-to play. And part of that is a testament to, to Marshall's athleticism, but I think it also was, was kind of reflective of what the offense felt like it could do. And I think as you, um, see a team with a little bit more senior leadership that gets all of its, most of its backfield back, having Marshall in, as a second-year starter, but also having Clinton Lynch back. I think that's going to be huge for Tech as both a receiving and running threat. I think Quay Searcy is really going to come into his own as a playmaker even more than he did last year. And also, by the way, Quay Searcy is the most underrated downfield blocker, uh, I think, in the country. He he takes joy in taking guys out at the second level, and uh, I really enjoy watching that. And I think Cervante Benson's poised for a big year this year too. But so much of this is going to depend on whether or not you get that receiver who steps up and takes that safety out of the box. If they can do that, this is a team that can be really be reckoned with. But to the earlier point, and this is a very long-winded way of answering your question, which is tech ceiling is going to be dictated in large part by how well the various pieces on offense mesh together. If they all gel and everything is clicking and firing on all, all cylinders, this team is very dangerous, and I think this could be a 10-win team. Um, if not, uh, it could be a long season. And that's why I think those first couple of games are so important because I think we'll get a sense for the identity of this team very early on. Joey, record prediction time. I'm thinking eight and four. I, I would feel good about a team coming back from five and six, you know, and going eight and four. I'm, I'm going to play it a little bit safe. Um, but I, I'm I'm with Sean. And I, as I said it before, I think there's a lot of upside there that um, you, you could be looking at a nine and three, 10 and two team. Um, if all the pieces fall into place just right, so, but I'm going to go eight and four for now. I'm flat in eight and four, seven and five territory. I think if I think if Georgia Tech gets to nine wins, it's been a you know obviously a really solid year. I, anything's better than the five and six record they had last year because I feel like that's probably the worst they could have been, um, given you know some of the games they lost and the, and the creative ways they bound to lose games. Um, some of that's luck. Some of it's just you know, bad scheming on defense, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. um, I, I think that five and six was pretty much the worst they could have done given their 11 game schedule, their shortened 11 game schedule last year. I think they're flat in that seven, eight win range. I'll go with eight and four to play it safe. Um, but a lot of upside with this team. I'm I'm high on Georgia Tech this year. I would not be surprised to see it a lot better than eight and four, even just given what they have returning on offense. And I think it's a move for the better on defense. I really do. You figure that if they go nine and three or better, that's a win over at least one of Clemson, Virginia tech, Miami, and Georgia, which those are the, the four games that I think Paul Johnson has struggled with the most in his, his last 10 years as head coaches, the, the best years are the years you can get at least one of those games. And so I, I don't think that's out of the question by any means. Um, but again, that's kind of an, an indicator of this is going to be a really special season. Um, don't sleep on Louisville either. I, I've, uh, Ethan Moore has us has us high on Louisville after our preview earlier uh, earlier in the week. So keep an eye out for that. 
Um, Sean, anything else you wanted to hit on for Georgia Tech this season before uh, before we get out of here? Well, uh, Joey, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the big change in uh, apparel provider. Holy crap. Which I, I figured didn't. was going to be – I mean, that's, that's something very near and dear to your heart. So I assume oh, we would be discussing that. I've got I've got the luminous pages of notes over here just ready to talk about the ins and outs of the uh, of the new um, Prime Knit and, and all the stuff going on with Adidas. But, uh, you know, if you don't want to talk about that, I'm happy to move on. You just shook me to my core. How did I forget – oh, God, Sean. <laughs> How did we forget – Sean Roman Reigns was at the uh, was at the release party. Tell me all about it. What what's the uh, the vibe going on around some of the uh, Georgia Tech leadership right now with living the three stripe life? Living the three stripe life. Yeah, we. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's an exciting time to be a Georgia Tech fan, and I think a lot of guys um, or a lot of former players that I've talked to are um, very thinly masking their sort of uh, disdain for the current players who've just gotten a brand new locker room, all new Adidas uniforms. Um, I, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement around the program right now. They've just put up new Jumbotrons all over the place. Um, fan day was yesterday. So I think the program as a whole has a lot of positive energy and momentum going with it. Um, obviously, it's it has yet to be seen whether or not that will translate into wins and recruiting success. But uh, certainly things heading in the right direction on that front. Um, the new uniforms look great. The, uh, the unveiling ceremony was very well done, um, as you said. Uh, the gentleman now known, known as Roman Reigns, I knew him as Joe Nawaii, uh, was there to to officially unveil that along with Chris Cotter and uh, Roddy Jones. So, from a Georgia Tech perspective, quite the all star cast. And uh, no, I think I think Tech fans as a whole are very excited about where Todd Stansbury has this program headed right now. I know I am. That's something I've talked about a little bit on here is that all the things that I see him doing and things going on around the athletic department as a whole, not even just football, is. Um, a lot of very positive, necessary changes, you know, to, to kind of keep up with the times and make sure that Georgia Tech is in a good place to, to be competitive in the ACC. And he's made a lot of comments about staying true to who you are. I mean, you can't sit here and act like you're Alabama or Clemson and put water slides and barber shops and all sorts of nonsense like that in your locker room. But you can definitely afford to have a nice locker room and, and you know, some, some of the nice amenities. And so, the fact that he's he's going out of his way to bring in again some of these nicer brands and uh, rebuild the locker room. They unveiled a new initiative to rebuild the whole athletics building um, here only about a month and a half ago. But all that that's going on is it's very encouraging for me as the uh, the future of Georgia Tech and, and the athletics department as a whole. So um, very very positive. I will say I've got a couple of Adidas shirts already. I, I will be uh, trying to sneak a couple more into the budget over the next couple of months as I. Uh, need to kind of redo the, uh, the, the old wardrobe now uh, as I sit here wearing a, a, an Under Armour Georgia Tech shirt. felt like that was appropriate for the occasion. But, um, yeah, Sean, that's, that's really exciting times. I, I, I was not able to be at that unveiling ceremony. I kind of wish I had been. Um, but sadly, living in Texas kind of has its limitations. Um, but thank you for the reminder. I, I cannot, cannot believe that I forgot <laughs> to bring that up. I am, uh, I am questioning my abilities as a podcast host over here. I think you'll be okay. Now, I, I figured that was something we should at least touch on just because, um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many tweets I've gotten in the last year that just say something to the effect of, wait, Georgia Tech is still wearing Russell? And um, up until now, the answer to that has been yes. But uh, the Jackets, as you said, are living that three-stripe life right now and, and really seem to be enjoying it. And, uh, you know, for as much as that may seem like a silly thing to a lot of fans, it's it really is a big deal to the players. Um, and when you consider that these are college kids, they're – if you give them free stuff, they're going to wear it. Uh, you wind up spending probably about 75% of your time in team-issued sweats. Um, and so 
that really is a big difference. And a number of the players have openly commented about just how much better the practice um, equipment has been, how much more they've enjoyed um, using that stuff as opposed to what they had last year. So uh, hopefully that'll translate into results on the field. But uh, as of right now, it's generating a lot of hype. You give Georgia Tech free stuff, they'll wear it. You give North Carolina players free stuff, they'll sell it. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, would would Adidas have made a difference for high school recruit Sean Bedford? You assumed that I was a high school recruit. I was a walk on, so I <laughs> I showed up. I showed up in spite of any sort of apparel uh, deal. So I I was not on the receiving end of any of that uh, at the beginning. But um, you know that, that wasn't really my primary concern. I was going there for engineering, and I found a pretty good spot for that. But I can tell you there are at least a, a handful of other guys who who could, could potentially have been swayed by something like that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Sean, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Uh, do you want to tell the people where they can come find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. Um, so I don't tweet a lot, but when I do tweet, it's at, at Sean Bedford 79. And, um, uh, you can listen to me and Andy Demetra, the voice of the jackets on the Georgia tech radio network all this fall. And, uh, we're looking forward to a great season and I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, yeah, thanks. Thanks as always for coming on. This is a lot of great information, a lot of great insights, and thanks for keeping me honest about uh, <laughs> bringing up these these uh, apparel matters. I, I'm still so messed up by this. Anyways, uh, Mike, that's Sean Bedford. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got more teams. We got to go preview. In the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, he is at Sean Bedford 79 on Twitter. Go find him as well. Uh, Y'all can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. You can also send us an email to the longest email address, no demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, tell them where else they can find us in the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. You can go find us on YouTube if you want. You can see this uh, Under Armour shirt that I'm appropriately wearing for this this podcast. Um, you, you know, all sorts of stuff. You can go check it out. Just search for us on YouTube. It's Basketball Conference. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. More previews coming. More previews coming. We're getting close. We're getting close to the season, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful time of year. Uh, but until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Sean Bedford, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.